We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 265 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, March 7th, 2022, and we have stuff, a whole lot of stuff to discuss on this Monday installment of the pod. Hope that you had a nice weekend. Hope that you enjoyed the warm weather in the Washington, D.C. area. It is still winter, but it did feel like spring over the weekend, especially with the days now getting longer and with it being NFL draft season and with us now having March Madness and with baseball season cup, uh, with it being NFL draft season and with us now having March Madness. We had all kinds of stuff over the last few days regarding the commander's search for a franchise quarterback, including Multiple reports of the team having made a trade offer for the Seattle Seahawks' Russell Wilson and a report on Sunday from NFL insider Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network that the Commanders and also the Carolina Panthers remain interested in trading for the Houston Texans' Deshaun Watson. But there was so much more even beyond those two major items. I will take you through it all. I will react to it all Next segment of uh, the college basketball regular season is over. This week is conference tournament week, although already we have had plenty in the way of conference tournaments. How about Navy, the midshipmen advancing to the final of the Patriot League tournament? Could it be that Navy will be the only area team that makes the NCAA tournament this year? Uh, I will discuss where we are with Maryland, Georgetown, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and VCU as those schools will be playing in their conference tournaments this week. We had some very ugly performances over the weekend from the Terrapins, Hoyas, and Hokies. The Cavaliers were good. Uh, Those other teams were not. We also, over the last few days, got an update on Patrick Ewing's status as Georgetown head coach from Patrick Ewing himself. Uh, I'll be getting into all of this in just a bit. I will talk Wizards with you on the show. Two games for the Wiz over the weekend. A 117-114 loss to the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena on Friday night. And a 133-123 win over the Indiana Pacers at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening as Kristaps Porzingis, the zinger, made his Wizards debut. And he shined 
in his Wizards debut. It was great to see Porzingis do as he did on Sunday evening. Speaking of shining, uh, the Capitals, they all of a sudden are shining. A good-looking 5-2 win over the Seattle Kraken on Saturday night. The Caps' power play is shining. Vitek Vanacek is shining. Uh, Alex Ovechkin was shining on Saturday night, at least on the ice. Uh, there was an anti-Alex Ovechkin protest off the ice outside of Capital One Arena. I will talk Caps later in the show. Always know, no podcast covers Washington, D.C. area sports like this podcast. Five episodes per week, a new episode out each weekday morning in the 5 a.m. hour. You can join the revolution by being a sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast. Let us grow your business or practice. Podcast advertising is very affordable. Podcast advertising works. Uh, You can contact us via Twitter at Al Galdi and via email, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. You can also send me feedback via Twitter and email. Got these tweets from Mike off something that Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus said to us on Friday show, episode 264. Eric was great, by the way. If you haven't yet heard his appearance, you should definitely check that out. Eric talked about how a quarterback needy team like the Commanders should attack the quarterback position in an offseason in which the quarterback class in an NFL draft isn't believed to be great. But among the things that I got into with Eric is his belief that quarterback wins are a meaningful measure of a quarterback. Yes, Eric, an analytics guy, gives credibility to wins as a player stat. Uh, Anyway, writes Mike, nice to hear an analytics guy acknowledge what I find obvious. Wins is the relevant stat for the QB position, not an end-all be-all stat but one to consider. What is the point of having an elite QB if it doesn't correlate with wins? Of course it does. For example, it is relevant that Kirk Cousins is a 500 QB for his career. Does it mean he can never win the Super Bowl? No. Does it mean you don't consider the teams he played on when evaluating that stat? No. But all things considered, it does suggest a limitation in his game. Uh, Yeah, so Eric Eager's point is that Teams use resources to acquire quarterbacks to win football games. Therefore, it is perfectly reasonable to judge a quarterback acquisition by the team-level results that he was hired to influence. Uh, That's not a crazy way of looking at things. I would, though, say that you do need to be careful with quarterback wins. Justin Herbert, over his first two NFL seasons, has a regular season record of just 15-17. and with the Los Angeles Chargers. But nobody would say that Justin Herbert being two games under 500 is indicative of the caliber of quarterback that he has been so far in his career. But if you're talking about a large sample size, then yeah, I mean, it's not insane to say that a quarterback's one loss record can have meaning. Although I think that that's something that you can apply in today's NFL with it being such a passing league, but that you can't necessarily apply in the NFL of yesteryear. And the guy who I think about is Sonny Jurgensen. Okay, Sonny Jurgensen's career regular season record in the NFL is sub 500, 69, 71, and 7. And yet nobody uh, with a brain would say that Sonny's career record accurately reflects the caliber of quarterback. He was. He played on a bunch of teams with bad defenses. Uh, email from Craig on Robert Griffin III's tell-all book being postponed, if not canceled. Uh, writes Craig, I look forward to your take on this. Such a pathetic attention grabber. <laughs> Thank you for the email, Craig. So yeah, in case you missed this, the RG3 tell-all book is off. 
Uh, we in late November learned that RG3 was coming out with a book, the title of which was Surviving Washington. What a dramatic title, Surviving Washington. Uh, the book for Simon & Schuster was to be, quote, a one-of-a-kind explosive tell-all from a former franchise savior, Robert Griffin III, detailing the shocking mismanagement and toxic culture within the most dysfunctional professional football team in America, end quote. Uh, there also was this, RG3 in the book was going to talk about his experience with sexual harassment, and apparently this was going to be RG3 himself having been sexually harassed. RG3 on December 1st tweeted, quote, sexual harassment victims should share their stories when they are ready, not when you want them to. The book is not about other people's experiences with sexual harassment in Washington. It's about my experience with sexual harassment in Washington. Hopefully you will listen End quote. So Robert was going to talk about his own experience with sexual harassment while playing for the Redskins. Well, the book now is off. A statement from RG3 this past Friday, quote, through the process of thinking about writing a book, I've learned that this is an issue bigger than one person. I want to give space to and elevate those who have already come forward while encouraging those who have not yet to feel empowered to speak. This is a matter that very qualified people are continuing to manage with sensitivity and seriousness. And ultimately, I learned that this book was not the proper forum for this in time and through a more meaningful method. I hope to address my firsthand experience, end quote. Uh, so to me, there are two possible things going on here with the RG3 book being off. Uh, one is that there are concerns from Simon & Schuster and or Camp RG3 that his claim or claims of sexual harassment and perhaps his claim or claims regarding other things will not hold up. In other words, that these claims aren't true or that these claims are flimsy or that these claims would expose Simon & Schuster and or Camp RG3 to legal trouble that isn't worth risking. A second possible reason that the RG3 book is off is that he no longer thinks that the book is best for the brand of RG3. And if we came to know anything about Robert Griffith III during his time with the Redskins, it is that RG3 is very concerned with the brand of RG3. Now look, RG3 has become a really good broadcaster for ESPN, okay? He is a very good broadcaster. He has opinions. He expresses those opinions well. He has charisma. I mean, honestly, RG3 could be a very successful college football and or NFL analyst for years to come. And so if you're RG3 and you're in this position and your broadcasting career is just getting going and you're seeing the astronomical money that NFL analysts like Tony Romo and Troy Aikman are making, why are you going to risk any of that with a tell-all book that makes an NFL franchise look really bad and that ultimately might make you look bad? Now, look, maybe the book wouldn't make RG3 look bad, but if the book comes off as untruthful or even just as gossipy, or even if the book just angers the NFL, that's not what is best for the brand of RG3. And I want to make clear, it may well be that RG3 was sexually harassed during his time 
with the Redskins. I mean, that would be a little unusual for a star quarterback in a male-dominated environment to be sexually harassed, but it's not impossible, okay? When somebody says that he or she has been sexually harassed, you should always take those claims seriously. You shouldn't just be dismissive of those claims. But if the NFL doesn't want this book coming out and RG3 wants to make that Tony Romo money, you know, wants to make that Troy Aikman money as an analyst, well, is it really worth it if you're RG3 for that book to come out? So that's what I think may be going on here with the nixing of the RG3 book. You know, it's funny with RG3. This is the same guy who this past September said that he would love to play for, for Washington again. He went on the Adam Schefter podcast and said that, quote, would I be open to it? Yeah, I would love to go back and be able to have that come full circle. But am I begging for that or pleading for that? Nah. But if your guy goes down, make the call, end quote. So in September, Robert says that he would love to play for Washington again. And yet two months later, RG3 was coming out with a tell-all book that was going to trash the organization. Uh, go figure. Uh, but now the book is off. Well, I'm not sure if RG3 sought counsel from Paulson and Nace on the book, but I do know that if you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. If you have been injured through no fault of your own, if your family has suffered death due to medical negligence, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace fights for the rights and futures of victims and their families throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace has a skilled team of personal injury, birth injury, and medical malpractice trial attorneys that puts your best interests first. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people. These are smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. And Paulson and Nace understands that when you are injured because of someone else's negligence, you may experience feelings of anger, anxiety, frustration. Choosing the right law firm to help you can be overwhelming. How do you know whom to trust? How do you know that you'll be protected? Well, it's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace Take care of your family. All right. Well, brace yourselves because things are going to be moving quickly in the commander's search. The commander's quest for a franchise quarterback. The NFL scouting combine is concluding on Monday. The NFL's legal tampering period will begin next Monday, March 14th at noon Eastern. And then the NFL's new league year will begin on Wednesday, March 16th at 4 p.m. Eastern. And the start of the new league year is the beginning of when free agent signings of players with expiring contracts can become official and trades of players can become 
official. Uh, there was a lot, and I mean a lot of stuff over the last few days regarding the commander search for a franchise quarterback. The most significant development was this. We late Friday afternoon had multiple reports that the commanders had made a trade offer to the Seattle Seahawks for Russell Wilson and that that trade offer had been rejected. Uh, <laughs> uh, the news was broken by NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com. Uh, Rappaport on NFL Network reported that the commanders earlier in the week had, quote, made a strong offer involving multiple first-round picks, end quote, but that, quote, the deal did not go anywhere, end quote. Uh, Rappaport on Twitter said that the commanders had, quote, called essentially everywhere about finding a QB, end quote. Rappaport in his tweets also said that the commanders were, quote, ready to deal, and given what they have on their roster, they may be a QB away. A surefire starter changes everything for a team ready to compete, end quote. Uh, this was Rappaport on NFL Network on Friday with Chris Rose. Yeah, the Washington Commanders, no doubt one of the teams that is very much in the quarterback market, serious about potentially acquiring a big-name quarterback. And here is how serious. Sources say that earlier this week they called the Seattle Seahawks about trading for Russell Wilson. I'm told they made an offer, a strong offer involving multiple first-round picks. Now, the deal did not go anywhere, and Seattle really hasn't engaged at all on potential trades for Russell Wilson. But this really does show you how deep and how strong the commanders are willing to go for a potential quarterback. And you think about their roster and the way it's constructed. They got a lot to like. Really good young receivers. They got a good offensive line. Tons of studs on defense. Got a good running back. Really just need a quarterback. They do seem to be a team that is a quarterback away from being good. And they are uh, very, very willing to go where they need to go to acquire one, Chris. Tell us uh, earlier this week that uh no dice. Russell Wilson's going to be our quarterback this year. Isn't that what Pete Carroll he, said? He did say that, but then general manager John Schneider said at least he's going to pick up the phone mm. and at least talk, but this one didn't go anywhere. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, so we on Friday had the Russell Wilson thing. We also on Friday had a Derek Carr thing. Raiders insider Vincent Bonsignor. And I love that last name. Bonsignor. Uh, Raiders insider Vincent Bonsignor of the Las Vegas Review Journal on late Friday afternoon tweeted that multiple teams had expressed trade interest in Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr. The belief very much is that the Commanders were one of those teams. And then we on Sunday morning had an ESPN Plus piece on various observations from reporters at the Combine. We had this from ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano on the Commanders in the 2022 NFL draft. Quote, I do have my eye on the Washington Commanders at number 11 for the spot where the first quarterback could go off the board. Washington has been calling around on every veteran option, but I'm told it also has been focused on the rookies. The Commanders know they need a quarterback for 2022, but they're obsessed with finding the answer at that position for the long term. Even if they sign a veteran in free agency, don't be surprised if they use their first round pick on a quarterback as well. The top candidates are Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, end quote. We also had this from ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler, quote, Washington general manager Martin Mayhew said his club has talked to any team that might have an available quarterback. 
I asked a team source about this and was told that's fair to take at face value. The commanders are looking everywhere from Russell Wilson to Deshaun Watson. Whether these discussions are formal or informal is unclear, but they are working hard on it. End quote. And also on Sunday, we got the following from NFL insider Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network. He reported that the Commanders and also the Carolina Panthers remain interested in trading for Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. All right, so quite a bit for us to digest. Let us digest, shall we? So first of all, I am glad that the commanders truly are trying to get themselves a franchise quarterback. Now, no, you don't get points for trying, okay? This is not my uh, CYO soccer team from when I was a kid, but I'm glad that the commanders truly are trying to get themselves a franchise quarterback. If the team was talking all of this talk about wanting to get a franchise quarterback, but then it wasn't being super aggressive in trying to get a franchise quarterback, then we would kill the team. So it's only fair that we acknowledge that the team is trying. I'm not saying to throw a parade for the team for trying. I'm simply saying we can acknowledge that the team is trying. And as a fan of the team, I'm glad that the team is trying. I also think that it's really notable that the team is making it very clear that the team is trying very hard to get a franchise quarterback. Ron Rivera and the commanders have been telling anyone who will listen now two things this offseason. A, that the team is all in on trying to get a franchise quarterback, and B, that the team is trying very hard to get that franchise quarterback. Uh, Consider this. Commanders insider John Keim of ESPN in a piece that came out last Tuesday wrote that, quote, According to a source, end quote, the commanders had, quote, reached out to every team to inquire about a quarterback's availability and the cost, end quote, and that the team had, quote, started its search with a list of 42 quarterbacks, end quote. Now, I don't know with certainty who Kimes' source was, but I would bet quite a bit that the source was someone with the Commanders, and I also would bet quite a bit that that someone with the Commanders has a name that rhymes with uh, Schwan Schwavera. <laughs> uh, now, throw what Ian Rappaport reported on Friday. Rappaport on Twitter said that the Commanders had, quote, called essentially everywhere about finding a QB, end quote. Rappaport in his tweets also said that the commanders were, quote, ready to deal. And given what they have on their roster, they may be a QB away. A surefire starter changes everything for a team ready to compete, end quote. Now, where do you think all of that is coming from? Uh, The answer is the commanders. All of that is coming from the commanders, right? All of that echoes so much of what Ron Rivera has been saying about how the roster is ready for a franchise quarterback, right? The roster has this very good offensive line. The roster has a thousand yard receiver in Terry McLaurin. The roster has a thousand yard rusher in Antonio Gibson. And on and on, Ron will go with those talking points and then throw in this stuff from Sunday from especially Jeremy Fowler, quote, Washington general manager Martin Mayhew said his club has talked to any team that might have an available quarterback. I asked a team source about this and was told that's fair to take at face value. The commanders are looking everywhere from Russell Wilson to Deshaun Watson. Whether these discussions are formal or informal is unclear, but they are working hard on it, 
End quote. Now, this time, we don't even have to wonder about the source. Fowler flat out said that he spoke with a, quote, team source, end quote. So the commanders also clearly are making it clear that they are trying very hard to get a franchise quarterback. The commanders want you, the commanders fan, to know that the team is trying very hard to get a franchise quarterback. And the commanders want you to know that they are trying very hard to get a franchise quarterback in large part because if they don't trade for a Russell Wilson, they want you to not be mad at them, okay? They want you to know that they gave it their all. And honestly, there's nothing really wrong with the commanders putting this stuff out there, but just understand what's happening here and where these reports are coming from. These reports are coming from the commanders themselves. Now, specific to the stuff from ESPN on Sunday, uh, I was very happy to read what came from Dan Graziano. Graziano said that while, quote, Washington has been calling around on every veteran option, end quote, the commanders are, quote, obsessed with finding the answer at that position for the long term. Even if they sign a veteran in free agency, don't be surprised if they use their first round pick on a quarterback as well. The top candidates are Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, End quote. So there's another instance of the team wanting you to know that it is trying to get a franchise quarterback, right? Graziano using a word like obsessed. You don't see that word used often in talking about teams' quests for players, even quarterbacks. You know, Graziano writing the commanders are, quote, obsessed with finding the answer at that position for the long term. End quote. But the truth is, the commanders should be obsessed with finding a long-term answer at quarterback. And the approach that Graziano outlined is exactly the right approach if the commanders can't or don't trade for an obvious star franchise quarterback like Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, or Derek Carr. And yes, I do consider Derek Carr to be a star franchise quarterback. I wouldn't put Carr at the level of Wilson and Watson, but Carr isn't that far off that level. But if, in fact, the commanders can't or don't trade for any of those guys, then the right approach for the commanders at quarterback this offseason is a volume approach. Sign a veteran free agent quarterback with upside, okay? Don't trade away assets for a veteran quarterback with limited upside like Jimmy Garoppolo or Carson Wentz. Sign a quarterback with upside in free agency so that you're not giving up assets. Mitchell Trubisky is the obvious name. I do think that there's a case to be made for Marcus Mariota as well, but a veteran free agent quarterback with upside, and then take a quarterback in the 2022 draft. And don't just take some long shot developmental quarterback in like the fourth round, okay? I'm talking about taking the quarterback who the team likes the best in the draft and who the team believes has major upside, okay? Whether that quarterback is Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett or whoever. And then the commanders can go into the 2022 season with three viable options at quarterback, a rookie who the team believes has major upside, a veteran who the team believes has upside slash untapped potential, and Taylor Heineke, who did an admirable job this past season and played very well in the team's first six wins in the 2021 regular season. This volume approach to me is the next best thing beyond trading for that obvious star franchise quarterback. You can't just sign Mitchell Trubisky and that be it, okay? You have to sign a Trubisky and then also take a quarterback in the draft. And again, I'm not talking about taking a quarterback on day two or day three. I'm talking about on the night of the first round of the 2022 draft, 
taking a quarterback in that first round. And if that means trading up to take the quarterback, then by all means, trade up to take the quarterback. That's part of why I don't want the commanders trading away assets for a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Carson Wentz. Uh, Yes, those guys to me have limited upside. And in the case of Wentz, you have massive red flags all over the place at this point. But also, I want the commanders keeping their assets in case the team needs to trade up in the first round of the 2022 draft to take the quarterback who the team likes the best. Also, the more that I think about things and read about things and hear about things, uh, the more that I do believe that the commanders will be in on Deshaun Watson. And this report that we got on Sunday backs this up, a report from NFL insider Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network that the Commanders and also the Carolina Panthers remain interested in trading for Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. Now, if his legal situation gets even murkier or shadier, uh, then forget about the Commanders trading for Watson. But if things do start to clear up for him legally, then I do think that the commanders will be in on Watson. Uh, Wilson and Carr may not be options because those guys aren't being traded. The Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, doesn't seem to have any interest in playing for the commanders. The commanders' best hope to make that mega splash trade for a franchise quarterback this offseason may be by striking a deal with the Houston Texans for Watson. And keep in mind, he would have to want to come here. Uh, He has a no-trade clause in his contract. But at this point, with how desperate the commanders are for a franchise quarterback, again, Dan Graziano used the word obsessed. Uh, I very much could see the commanders rationalizing trading for Watson, even as the team's workplace misconduct scandal continues. And the good news on the Watson front would be, you should know by the time we get to the 2022 draft, whether Watson's legal situation is clearing up, or is still murky, right? The NFL draft doesn't start until April 28th. So by then, we should have at least somewhat of a better idea of where things stand legally with Deshaun Watson. So to me, you could sign a veteran free agent quarterback and then either make the trade for Watson or just hold on to your assets and potentially make that trade up in the 2022 draft to take the quarterback who you like best in the draft. And maybe you wouldn't even have to trade up in the 2022 draft to take the quarterback who you like best in the draft. Uh, One more thing on all of this. So Ian Rappaport on Friday in his tweets also said that the commanders were, quote, ready to deal. And given what they have on their roster, they may be a QB away. A surefire starter changes everything for a team ready to compete, end quote. Uh, I want to talk about this idea of the commanders being a quarterback away. I late Friday afternoon put out the following tweet, quote, glad to see commanders made strong trade offer for Russell Wilson. Notion of them being a QB away isn't wrong. When 7-10 in 2021, despite facing toughest schedule in NFL per DVOA, offense being ravaged by injury, defense being terrible over first eight games, and a major COVID outbreak, End quote. Uh, I got a lot of feedback uh, to that tweet. And I do think that the notion of the commanders being a quarterback away is interesting. You can define being a quarterback away in a lot of different ways. Uh, Some of you wrote me saying, how can you say that the team is a quarterback away? Dan Snyder is the owner. The team will never win with Dan as the owner. I get that. Okay. Trust me. I get that. But to me, the phrase being a quarterback away has to do with the quality of a team's roster, not things like the quality 
of a team's owner. And I'm not trying to discount the Dan factor, okay? The Dan factor is a massive factor, but if we're just assessing the quality of the team's roster, I don't think that saying the team is a QB away is wrong. You know, put Dan off to the side and be honest about things. If we're just analyzing the quality of the commander's roster, the roster isn't terrible. I'm not saying that the roster is some top five roster in the NFL, but I do think that the roster is, say, a top 15 roster in the NFL, a top 18 roster in the NFL. And that's not terrible, okay? That's middle of the pack. And that, to me, qualifies as being a quarterback away. From what, you ask? Well, from being a double-digit win team, you know, not necessarily a Super Bowl team, but a 10-win team, an 11-win team, a playoff team. And once you're in the playoffs, then a whole lot becomes possible. The truth about Washington's 2021 regular season is that it wasn't as bad as some of you think that it was. The team did face the toughest schedule in the NFL per Football Outsiders DVOA metrics. Some people are like afraid to admit this. I'm not sure why, but this is true. No team in the NFL faced a tougher schedule in the 2021 regular season than Washington did. Uh, Washington in that 2021 regular season was smashed by injury on offense. The list of key Washington offensive players who missed significant time in the 2021 regular season due to injury is a mile long, right? Ryan Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, J.D. McKissick, Samuel Cosme, Brandon Sheriff, Chase Roulier. I can go on and on and on. Uh, But injuries were a major problem for Washington on offense in the 2021 regular season. Washington's much-hyped defense in the 2021 regular season. It was atrocious over the first eight games. Uh, Now, you might say, hey, Galdi, that's a sign that the roster isn't very good. And you might be right about that. But I actually think that coaching was the biggest reason for the defense being so bad during the team's two and six start to the 2021 regular season. Once Ron Rivera and or Jack Del Rio simplified things for the secondary, the defense was much better. And we had that four-game winning streak. Uh, Commander's analyst Mark Bullock, in his appearance on this podcast a few weeks ago, did a great job of breaking down how Washington's defense was too complicated in the first half of last regular season. Uh, Mark was with me on episode 241 of this podcast. What also happened with the defense as the 2021 regular season went on was that guys were used in better ways. Uh, You know, Landon Collins went from struggling as a safety to doing well as a Buffalo nickel. Uh, Kendall Fuller went from struggling as a slot corner to doing quite well as an outside corner. So I do think that coaching, not talent, had a lot to do with Washington's defensive problems this past regular season. And then you throw on top of all of this, Washington's major COVID outbreak late last regular season. Things got so bad for Washington in late December with the team's COVID outbreak that the NFL ended up relaxing its COVID protocols because it became apparent that the protocols were too stringent, and they were. Uh, And yet, despite all of this, Washington went 7-10 in the 2021 regular season. Now, that's not a great record. I'm not trying to tell you that that is a great record, but that's also not some disastrous record. Uh, Now, it is true that Washington's point differential for the 2021 regular season wasn't good, okay? I would like to look at point differential. Washington in the 2021 regular season had a point differential of minus 99, okay? That's not good. That's quite bad, in fact. But I don't think that it's nuts to say that given the state of the commander's roster, if the team next season enjoys better injury luck and the coaching on defense is better and the team has a franchise quarterback, 
that the Commanders can be a double-digit win team. And understand, I say all of this not blaming Taylor Heineke for this past season. As you probably know, I am far more pro-Heineke. I am far more pro-Tay-Tay than most people. But nothing matters more in football than quarterback. And so if the commanders somehow get themselves a quarterback who is top 12, top 15 in the NFL uh, versus Heineke, who even with the good that he did in the 2021 regular season, was not top 12, top 15 in the NFL. He was more like in the bottom third of the NFL last regular season in terms of starting quarterbacks. Then yeah, the commanders can be a double-digit win team. Ergo, the commanders to me are a quarterback away. Now, the truth is, a lot of NFL teams fall into the category of being a quarterback away. If you are in the middle class of the NFL, there's a good chance that you are a quarterback away. The commanders are in the middle class of the NFL in terms of quality of roster. And so quarterback matters a lot. The roster is good enough to do well enough if the team has a franchise quarterback. The roster is not good enough to carry a mediocre quarterback. That was one of the lessons of this past regular season for Washington. This idea of, well, the great defense and the skill position players on offense can lead the way with the quarterback just having to be decent enough. Uh, No, uh, that situation did not materialize because the defense was not good enough and so many of the skill position players on offense ended up being injured. But I'm interested in your thoughts on this. This idea of the commanders being a quarterback away. Do you buy into that idea as I do? You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I get that sometimes we as fans of the team now known as the commanders can overrate our players. But I also think that the opposite can be true quite often as well, that there is an underrating of the players on the team, and there is an underrating of the circumstance with the team. And I do think the current state of the team may fall into that latter category of, yeah, last season didn't feel good, okay? And the season certainly didn't go well as the season went on. But if you take a step back and are honest about things, last season for Washington, it wasn't nearly as bad as it felt like it was in terms of what truly was communicated about the state of the team's roster. Up next, college basketball. The regular season is complete. I'll examine where things stand for Maryland, Georgetown, Virginia, and Virginia Tech heading into their conference tournaments this week, as well as figure out which teams in our region, if any, will actually be making the NCAA tournament this season. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, this coming Sunday and Monday are going to be two huge days in sports. As we discussed last segment, this coming Monday, March 14th, will mark the start of the NFL's legal tampering period. That'll begin at noon Eastern on March 14th. And the legal tampering period truly is when NFL free agency begins because it's during the legal tampering period that we get teams agreeing on deals with free agents. It was during the legal tampering period last year that Washington agreed on free agent contracts with Ryan Fitzpatrick and William Jackson III. So we have the NFL's legal tempering period beginning this coming Monday, March 14th, and we have Selection Sunday in college basketball this Sunday, March 13th. The college basketball regular season is over. This week is a conference tournament week, and then the NCAA tournament will begin Next week. Now, as you likely know, uh, it is quite possible, if not probable, that Maryland, Georgetown, Virginia, and Virginia Tech all will not be making the NCAA tournament this season. In terms of teams in our region, the mid Atlantic region, uh, making the NCAA tournament this year, Virginia Tech and VCU have decent chances of getting at large bids to the NCAA tournament, but neither team is like a lock. For the NCAA tournament. It could be that Navy and Norfolk State are the lone representatives of the mid-Atlantic region in the NCAA tournament. Navy has advanced to the Patriot League tournament final. What a job by the midshipmen. Uh, they will play at Colgate Wednesday night at 7.30. Tremendous victory for the mids on Sunday afternoon. An 85-80 overtime win over Boston University at Alumni Hall in Annapolis. Uh, Norfolk State has been the best team in the MEAC this season, but almost certainly has to win the MEAC tournament to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, here's what we're looking at this week in terms of Maryland, Georgetown, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and VCU in conference tournaments. So we have the Big Ten tournament this week at Gainbridge Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. Maryland is the number 10 seed in the Big Ten tournament. Terrapins will face a seven-seeded Michigan State Thursday evening at 6.30. We have the Big East tournament this week at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Georgetown is the lowest seed in the Big East tournament. The number 11 seed, the Hoyles, will face a six-seeded Seton Hall at MSG Wednesday night at 9.30. Uh, We have the ACC tournament this week at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Both Virginia and Virginia Tech have first-round buys in the ACC tournament. The Cavaliers are the number six seed. They will play on Wednesday night at 9.30 or thereabouts against the winner of Louisville, Georgia Tech on Tuesday night. The Hokies are the number seven seed. They will play on Wednesday night at 7 against the winner of Clemson, NC State, on Tuesday. And we have the A-10 tournament this week at Capital One Arena. And yes, Washington, D.C. VCU is the number three seed, has a bye into the quarters, and thus won't play until Friday night around 8.30. As for the ends of Maryland's, Georgetown's, Virginia's, and Virginia Tech's regular seasons. Well, things ended well for just one of those teams. Uh, Maryland concluded a 15-16 and 16 regular season and a 7-13 and 13 regular season in the Big Ten with a 77-67 loss 
at Michigan State on Sunday. The final score is not indicative of the nature of the game. This was not a good game for the Terps. Uh, They never led in the game. They trailed at the half by 20 points, 46-26. Terps did cut their deficit to three points in the second half, so I do give Maryland credit for that, but uh, three points was as close as the Terps got in the second half. The beginning of the game was an absolute nightmare for Maryland. The Terps missed their first 14 field goal attempts. Yeah, the Terps began the game 0 of 14 from the field. The Terps allowed Michigan State to begin the game on an 18-1 run. The Terps in the first half went just 1 of 15 on threes and just 8 of 17 on twos, scored just 26 points. Terps were better offensively in the second half. Terps in the second half went 7 of 14 on threes, 8 of 15 on twos, scored 41 points. But the game was more or less over at the half because of that wretched start for Maryland. Again, 18-1 Michigan State run to begin the game. Uh, the Terps did hold Michigan State for the game to just 7 of 18 on threes, but also allowed Michigan State to go 20 of 39 on twos. Uh, Eric Ayala did finish the game 5 of 12 on threes, but the rest of the Terps for the game just 3 of 17 on threes. Ayala 2 of 6 on twos. He finished with 19 points, 6 rebounds, and 2 assists versus two turnovers in 37 minutes as a starter. Fats Russell went just two of six on twos and committed five turnovers, but he also went two of five on threes, six of six on free throws. He finished with 16 points, three steals, and four assists in 38 minutes as a starter. And Dante Scott went just one of seven on threes, did go four of seven on twos, did finish with 13 points, five rebounds, three assists, versus two turnovers and two steals in 35 minutes as a starter. The Terps were better as their regular season went on, but uh, this was not a good ending to their regular season, which overall, of course, has not been good. Uh, Maryland has not finished a season with an overall losing record since going 12-16 and in the 1992-93 season. The Terps now have an overall record this season of 15-16, and so they have some work to do in the Big Ten tournament to avoid finishing this season with a losing record. But of course, the principal focus right now for Maryland is who is going to be the next full-time head coach. We're uh, pretty certain it's not going to be the interim head coach, Danny Manning. He's done the best that he can do, but uh, Maryland needs to find itself its next great head coach. Well, we knew long ago that Georgetown would finish this season with a losing record. And remarkably, the Hoyas finished their Big East regular season without a single win in conference play. Yes, the Hoyas did do it. They did end up going over in the Big East in the regular season. Georgetown concluded a 6-24 regular season and an 0-19 regular season in the Big East with a 97-75 loss at Xavier on Saturday night. The Hoyas lost their 20th consecutive game. The Hoyas 0-19 regular season record in the Big East is the worst single season regular season record ever for a Big East team in conference play. 0-19 in the Big East. That is a stain on Georgetown basketball that will never be removed. Uh, We also have had this with Georgetown over the last few days. Hoyas head coach Patrick Ewing on Friday afternoon put out the following tweet, quote, any announcement about my future will come from me or Georgetown University. First and foremost, I am not a quitter. My plan is to be back next year coaching at my alma mater and bringing this program back to Providence 
end quote. Kind of strange that Patrick put out that tweet. But remember, Georgetown Director of Athletics Lee Reed last Wednesday issued a statement regarding Patrick. Reed did say that Georgetown was, quote, committed to Coach Ewing, end quote, that there was, quote, confidence, end quote, that Patrick Ewing could, quote, strengthen our program going forward, end quote. Uh, All of those things obviously suggest that Patrick will be retained as Hoyas head coach. But Reed in that statement also said that the school was, quote, working, end quote, with Patrick, quote, to evaluate every aspect of the men's basketball program and to make the necessary changes for him to put us back on the path to success for next year, end quote. Uh, Necessary changes that obviously could include porting with Patrick as head coach. Whatever the case, uh, this game for the Hoyas at Xavier on Saturday night was a complete debacle. The Hoyas lost the first half 54-30. The Hoyas trailed by at least 15 points for the entire second half. Georgetown's defense was atrocious again. Uh, The Hoyas allowed Xavier to score 97 points, including 54 points in the first half. The Hoyas allowed Xavier to go 14-25 on threes. The Hoyas allowed Xavier to go 21-39 on twos. How about this? The Hoyas allowed Xavier to finish the game with 32 assists versus just nine turnovers. 32 assists versus nine turnovers. That's an assist to turnover ratio for a team that you'll see in the NBA, not in college basketball. And yet Georgetown on Saturday night allowed Xavier to finish the game with 32 assists versus just nine turnovers. The Georgetown Hoyas concluded the 2021-2022 regular season 244th out of 358 teams in Division I in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. 244th in the country. Uh, the Hoyas offense on Saturday night was horrible. Hoyas went just 5 of 20 on threes, went just 22 of 45 on twos, went just 16 of 23 on free throws. Uh, the Hoyas had eight assists the entire game. I mentioned it, right? Xavier finished with 32 assists. The Hoyas had eight assists in the game. The Hoyas got quadrupled by Xavier in terms of assists on Saturday night. Uh, rough game for Caden Rice, 32 minutes off the bench. He went just one and nine on three. So Caden Rice over Georgetown's final eight games in the regular season went just 10 of 50 on threes. Uh, Amino Muhammad had another rough shooting game. He went just 6 of 16 from the field, all twos. Also went just 3 of 7 on free throws. He did finish with 15 points, 16 rebounds, including eight offensive boards, two blocks, and two assists versus two turnovers in 39 minutes as a starter. He is a very good rebounder. I give Amito Muhammad full credit for that. And Muhammad on Sunday was named a unanimous selection to the Big East All-Freshman team, so was good to see that. Amina Muhammad was the only Georgetown player who started or even just played in all 30 of the Hoyas games in the regular season. Uh, now, his shooting needs work. He shot just 30.4% on three, shot just 39% on twos, but he did average 13.8 points per game, 8.1 rebounds per game, and 1.67 steals per game. Virginia, uh, it concluded an 18-12 and 12 regular season and a 12-8 regular season in the ACC with a 71-61 win at Louisville on Saturday afternoon. A nice bounce-back game for the Cavaliers off what had happened in their previous game. The Cavs in their previous game suffered a devastating blow 
to their NCAA tournament hopes. A 64-63 loss to Florida State at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. Now, two Saturdays ago, February 26th, Matthew Cleveland connected on a miracle spinning catch-and-shoot three from well beyond the three-point line off a three-quarters court inbounds pass for that loss for Virginia. But the Cavs' defense in the first half of this win at Louisville on Saturday afternoon was spectacular. You know, Virginia came out and was prepared and was ready to play. The Cavs in the first half held Louisville to just 17 points. Uh, UVA led at the half 36-17, despite having allowed Louisville to begin the game on an 8-0 run. So UVA ended the first half on a 36-9 run. Uh, The Cavs in the first half held Louisville to just one of eight on threes. The Cavs in the first half held Louisville to just six of 17 on twos. Cavs did allow Louisville in the second half to go seven of 15 on threes and score 44 points, but the Cavs led comfortably for the entire second half. Uh, Offensively, the Wahoos went seven of 12 on threes, and the Hoos won despite their best player, the East Carolina transfer, Jaden Gardner, scoring just six points. Uh, Gardner on Saturday afternoon played for 27 minutes, 56 seconds as a starter, but he finished with just six points. He went just three of 12 from the field, all twos, and yet Virginia won this game. Uh, UVA head coach Tony Bennett played just seven players, but got tremendous production from the Who's two bench players in this game, talking about Caden Shedrick and Cody Statman. Caden uh, Shedrick, the 6'11 big man, 2306 off the bench, eight and nine from the field, all twos, four of four on free throws. He finished with 20 points and five rebounds, all of which were offensive rebounds. And Cody Statman, the 6'8 Aussie, uh, 29-17 off the bench for him, one of two on threes, two of three on twos. He finished with 11 points, four rebounds, two assists versus no turnovers, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 22. Also, Reese Beekman, outstanding game for Virginia on Saturday afternoon. He played for nearly the entire game, 39 minutes, 22 seconds as a starter. He went three of three on threes, three of six on twos. He finished with 15 points, 12 rebounds, five steals, and five assists versus one turnover. That is quite a line. Uh, This was Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon on Reese Beekman. You look at Reese's stat line, that's quite a stat line. When I looked at the stat sheet, I didn't realize it was um, that good. Yeah, it was that good. Uh, Also, the Indiana transfer, Armand Franklin, uh, he on Saturday afternoon went two of four on threes, one of three on twos, finished with 13 points and four rebounds in 29-27 as a starter. Nice job by Virginia in this game. A not-so-nice job by Virginia Tech on Saturday afternoon. The Hokies concluded a 19-12 regular season and an 11-9 regular season in the ACC with a 63-59 loss at Clemson. This was just Tech's second loss in 11 ACC games since a 2-7 start in the ACC. But this was a disappointing loss for the Hokies. I mean, here they are, an NCAA tournament bubble team, and they lose at a Clemson team that entered the game just 7-12 in the ACC this season. This loss also was the first loss for Tech head coach Mike Young to Clemson. Uh, Young had been 3-0 against Clemson as Tech head coach. The Hokies were good offensively in the first half, but were horrendous offensively in the second half. Hokies in the first half, 7-17 on threes, 4-8 of eight on twos, scored 33 points, but the Hokies in the second half, just 2-13 of 13 on threes, and just 6-13 of 13 on twos, scored just 26 points. Kevin Aluma scored just 7 points 
in 36 minutes as a starter. He went one of three on threes, two of five on twos. Uh, also finished with eight rebounds, three assists versus three turnovers and two blocks. Justin Mutz had a mixed game. He went one of three on threes, three of five on twos, six of seven on free throws. He finished with 15 points and nine rebounds, including four offensive boards, but he also had one assist versus five turnovers in 26 minutes as a starter. Uh, Nahima Lean went five of 10 on threes. The rest of the Hokies went just four of 20 on threes. Lean finished with 17 points, five rebounds, and two steals in 31 minutes as a starter. Virginia Tech and VCU have the best chances of teams in the region for at-large bids to the NCAA tournament, but the Hokies have work to do in the ACC tournament. We move now to the Wizards, for whom Kristaps Porzingis finally has made his debut. More on that shortly. Two games for the Wizards over the weekend. Friday night, a 117-114 loss to the Atlanta Hawks at Capital One Arena. The Wizards never held a lead in the game. Now, they did trim an 11-point fourth-quarter deficit to one on a Haul Neto 28-foot left wing three that cut the Hawks' lead to 115-114 with 5.3 seconds left in the fourth quarter. But Trey Young then made two free throws with 3.7 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And then Kyle Kuzma missed a half-court three-point attempt as time expired in the fourth quarter. Basketball went off the back of the iron. Uh, we thought for a second that we might have a miracle finish there, but... Uh, that was not to be the case. But then on Sunday evening, the Wizards won a shootout, uh, a 133-123 win over the Indiana Pacers at Capital One Arena. The Wizards overcame an 11-point second quarter deficit. They won the third quarter 39-26 and never trailed in the fourth quarter. And the biggest item from this game was the Wizards' debut of Chris Dapps Porzingis, the zinger. Uh, he made his Wizards' debut off having not played in each of eight games since being acquired by the Wizards via trade on NBA trade deadline day on February 10th. Uh, Porzingis had been dealing with a right knee bone bruise, but Porzingis on Sunday evening was really good. He, in just 21 minutes, 19 seconds as a starter, went three of four on threes, four of eight on twos, eight of 10 on free throws. He finished with 25 points, five rebounds, and two blocks. Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Sunday night on Chris Stapps Porzingis. I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised, honestly, with his conditioning. You know, I know we, we had to be mindful of the stretches that he was going to play, uh, but he handled it well. And, um, you know, we still had to kind of play the game to make sure we didn't go too far with the minute restriction, but it worked out well. Yes, it did work out well. Chris Porzingis, 25 points, five rebounds, and two blocks in just 21-19 of playing time on Sunday evening. I tell you, if he stays healthy, and that is a big if, but if he stays healthy, he can be a terrific player for the Wizards. The Wizards on NBA trade deadline day, February 10th, dealt Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertans to the Dallas Mavericks for Chris Damps Porzingis and a protected 2022 second round pick. If the Zinger stays healthy, that can be a great trade for the Wizards. By the way, Dinwiddie, did you see what happened with him over the weekend? He went off on Saturday. 36 points in a 114-113 Mavericks win 
over the Sacramento Kings. Dinwiddie then, during his postgame press conference, talked about the problems that went on with him and his now former Wizards teammates, who seemed to despise Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, there was a whole lot going on behind the scenes, clearly, between Dinwiddie and at least some of his now former Wizards teammates. We still don't know the exact story of what went wrong, but there very clearly were issues between Dinwiddie and certain Wizards players. I know that a suspicion has been that there were issues between Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal, uh, but whatever the case, Dinwiddie and some Wizards players did not seem to like each other at all. But whatever, Porzingis did a really nice job on Sunday evening. By the way, with Porzingis starting, Daniel Gafford came off the bench, and Thomas Bryant did not play. Yeah, Thomas Bryant on Sunday evening was a DNP CD. So we in the Wizards center rotation now have gone from Gafford being a DNP CD to Bryant being a DNP CD. Next weekend for the Wizards defense, they end their loss to the Hawks on Friday night. Actually played good defense with the exception of defending without fouling. Uh, the Wizards held the Hawks to 13 of 36 on threes, held the Hawks to just 25 of 55 on twos. Did a good job on Trey Young. Trey Young on Friday night, just three of 11 on threes, just three of 11 on twos. But the Wizards committed 29 personal fouls to the Hawks, 16, and the Hawks totaled 34 free throw attempts to the Wizards, nine. Uh, the Hawks went 28 of 34 on their free throws. The Wizards went 8 of 9 on their free throws. Another problem for the Wizards in the loss to the Hawks on Friday night was offensive rebounding. Wiz finished with just seven offensive rebounds to the Hawks, 13, and thus just nine second chance points to the Hawks, 22. Uh, Clint Capella, yes, is a very good rebounder, but the Wizards allowed him to finish with eight offensive rebounds. The Wizards, as a team, again, just seven offensive rebounds. Daniel Gafford had just three total rebounds in 1807 as a starter. And then the Wizards defense in the win over the Pacers on Sunday evening was not good. Uh, the Wizards allowed the Pacers to score 123 points, did hold the Pacers to just 10 of 31 on threes, but the Wizards allowed the Pacers to go 30 of 44 in the paint and score 60 points in the paint. The Wizards' interior defense has been a real problem this season. It was again a problem uh, on Sunday evening. Also, the Wizards allow the Pacers to total 29 free throw attempts. The Pacers went 25 of 29 on free throws. However, the Wizards' offense over the weekend was excellent. Uh, the Wizards, in their loss to the Hawks on Friday night, 14 of 29 on threes, 32 of 56 on twos, outscored the Hawks in the paint 40 30. The Wizards totaled 37 assists versus 14 turnovers. And then the Wizards in the win over the Pacers on Sunday evening scored the 133 points, went 17 of 42 on threes, 28 of 44 on twos, 26 of 32 on free throws, finished with 33 assists versus just six turnovers. How about that assist to turnover ratio? 33 assists versus six turnovers. The Wizards over their two games over the weekend had 70 assists. That's outstanding. Uh, in terms of individual Wizards beyond Chris Dabbs Porzingis over the weekend, uh, obviously no Bradley Beal, right? He's out for the rest of the regular season due to a torn ligament in his left wrist on which he underwent surgery on February 10th. Uh, Hul Neto in the win over the Pacers on Sunday evening left the game due to having suffered a sprained left ankle. He played for just 10.53 as a starter. Neto was good in that loss to the Hawks on Friday night. Did go just two of seven on twos, but he went one to two on threes, finished with seven points, seven assists versus no turnovers, five rebounds, and the game best plus minus rating of plus 15 and 2705 
as a starter. Good weekend for Contavious Caldwell-Pope. He and the loss of the Hawks on Friday night. Six of six on threes. Uh, four of six on twos. Finished with 28 points. Five assists versus one turnover and five rebounds in 30-25 as a starter. And then KCP in the win over the Pacers on Sunday evening. Three and nine on threes. Two of four on twos. Six of seven on free throws. He finished with 19 points. Five assists versus no turnovers in 33-27 as a starter. Uh, Kyle Kuzma in the loss of the Hawks on Friday night had a mixed game. 0-6 on threes, committed four turnovers, but he also went 9-15 on twos and finished with 22 points, 11 assists, five rebounds, and two blocks, and 35-02 as a starter. And then Kuzma in the win over the Pacers on Sunday evening, just 2-7 on threes, just 5-7 on free throws, but he went 6-10 on twos, finished with 23 points, eight assists, versus one turnover, five rebounds, two blocks into game best plus minus rating of plus 21 in 36-24 as a starter. So Kuzma did not shoot the three well over the weekend, but he did a lot of other things quite well. Uh, And the Wizards got some very nice bench performances over the weekend. Uh, Rui Hachimura in the loss to the Hawks on Friday night, 25-57 off the bench, three or four on threes, four or six on twos, 19 points and six rebounds. Denny Avdia over the weekend had two more good games. He and the loss of the Hawks on Friday night played despite having suffered a right quad contusion in the Wizards' previous game, that 116-113 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena last Tuesday night. Uh, Avdia on Friday night, 22-29 off the bench, three of four on threes, finished with nine points, three rebounds, and three assists versus two turnovers. And then Avdia in the win over the Pacers on Sunday evening, 30-42 off the bench. Oh, a three on threes, but three of five on twos, four of four on free throws. He finished with 10 points, seven rebounds, and three assists versus one turnover. And two other Wizards who were very good off the bench on Sunday evening were Ish Smith and Thomas Sadoransky. Uh, Ish in 27-59 off the bench, one of three on threes, five of five on twos. He finished with 13 points, nine assists, versus one turnover, seven rebounds, and two steals. And Sadoransky in just 13.52 off the bench, one to two on threes, two or two on twos, three or three on free throws. He finished with 10 points and five assists versus one turnover. So the Wizards at 29 and 34 are 11th in the Eastern Conference, two games behind the Charlotte Hornets, Brooklyn Nets, and Atlanta Hawks. Uh, Those three teams occupy spots eight through 10 in the East. Teams 7 through 10 in the East will make the play-in tournament for the NBA playoffs. Uh, You know me, I have no interest in the Wizards this season making this play-in tournament, but the Wizards are right in the mix right now in terms of contending to be in that play-in tournament. Uh, Next up for the Wizards, a four-game trip out West, beginning with a game at the Los Angeles Clippers, Wednesday night at 10.30. All right, let's talk Capitals. Uh, One game for them over the weekend. The game was a Caps victory, and all of a sudden, things are looking better for our Caps. Uh, The Caps last Monday night, February 28th, suffered a 5-3 loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs at Capital Win Arena. That loss was the Caps' 12th regulation loss in 21 games and was the Caps' sixth consecutive home loss with each of those losses being a regulation loss. But the Caps now have won two consecutive games. Uh, last Thursday night, a 4 nothing win over the Metropolitan Division-leading Carolina Hurricanes at Capital One Arena. And this past Saturday night, a 5-2 win over the Seattle Kraken at Capital One Arena. The Caps now are 30-18-9 this season. Also on Saturday night was the Boston Bruins winning 
at the Columbus Blue Jackets, 5-4 in a shootout. So the Caps remain three points behind the Bruins for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. The Caps have 69 points. The Bruins have 72 points. But the Caps now are 10 points ahead of the Blue Jackets for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. Only the top two teams in the wildcard standings in each conference will make the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, there are a few things to be aware of with the Caps right now. So the Alex Ovechkin controversy isn't going away, but the controversy doesn't seem to be affecting his play. Uh, Ovi continues to take a lot of criticism from some people uh, for his support of Russia President Vladimir Putin over the years and for not having uh, like outright condemned Putin for invading Ukraine, even though Ovechkin made it clear that he wants no more war. Uh, I've given you my stance on the criticism of Ovechkin. I think that a lot of the criticism is over the top and potentially very unfair given what we know about how Putin handles people in Russia who aren't on his side. I think that there's a lot with the Ovechkin situation that we may not know. Now, look, maybe Alex Ovechkin is worthy of the criticism that he is receiving. I don't pretend to know everything about what has been said to Ovechkin from Team Putin, what has been communicated to Ovechkin from Team Putin, what has been intimated to Ovechkin from Team Putin. But that's the point. We just don't know. And I think that it's really easy to like sit on your couch and rip Ovechkin, but it's a lot harder for people who are ripping Ovechkin to do as they say Ovechkin should be doing, uh, were those people to be in Ovechkin's shoes. Anyway, there were pro-Ukraine people protesting outside of Capital One Arena during the game on Saturday night. I saw a photo of this on Twitter. Uh, the crowd did not seem like a large crowd, but I wasn't there. I know I'm going off a photo that was on Twitter. And understand that the protest didn't seem to just be like a pro-Ukraine protest. The protest also was an anti-Ovechkin protest, at least uh, from what I could tell. There's also this. Both Ukraine signs and Russia signs are banned from Capital One Arena. Now, generally speaking, political signs are not allowed at Caps games. Or the policy has been that signs must be relevant to the event. But to me, showing support for Ukraine really isn't political, okay? Like, we can disagree about whether the criticism of Alex Ovechkin is warranted, but I think we all agree that Putin is the aggressor in all of this and is in the wrong in all of this, okay? Russia invaded Ukraine. Like, that's not some political statement. There is bipartisan agreement on that. Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia is in the wrong on all of this. We can debate how the United States should be responding to all of this. Uh, some of that is political, but there's nothing political about the horror of what's happening to the people of Ukraine. Uh, there's also this. We have had a Ukrainian flag controversy at Capital One Arena. Two fans were turned away from that Caps 4-0 win over the Hurricanes at Capital One Arena this past Thursday night due to having a Ukrainian flag. Uh, now, Capital One Arena, through its Twitter account, responded to the controversy by directing fans to review the arena's security policies that allow, quote, national flags at events so long as they don't obstruct views or hinder game experience, end quote. Uh, I'm not going to crush the caps for this because I don't know if this Ukrainian flag was such that there was a belief from Capital One Arena staff that the flag would obstruct the views of other people at the game. But it's not unreasonable to wonder if Capital One Arena staff was instructed to not allow any Ukrainian flags at games because the flags would be seen as anti-Alex Ovechkin. So there's a lot going on with all of this. And this stuff probably isn't going to stop anytime soon unless the war stops sometime soon. However, from a hockey standpoint, 
Alex Ovechkin is doing just fine. He, on Saturday night, had a three-point game. Uh, Ovechkin had a third-period power play goal, two assists, a team-high four shots on goal, and a game-high nine shot attempts. Uh, Ovechkin's goal was the 764th regular season goal of his NHL career, so he is now within two goals of tying ex-cap Yarmir Yager for the third most regular season goals in NHL history. Uh, Ovechkin is having a Hart Trophy-worthy season. He's having an MVP-worthy season. He's been terrific this season, and uh, he has continued to produce here. Like I said, a three-point outing for Ovechkin on Saturday night. Now, Ovechkin's goal was a power play goal. The Caps' power play is on fire right now. The Caps' power play had been struggling uh, not no more. Uh, Connor Sheary on Saturday night had two goals, a second period power play goal uh, and a third period even strength empty net goal. The Caps on Saturday night, two of two on the power play. The Caps now have scored a power play goal in 10 of their last 13 games. And the Caps over those 13 games are 13 of 43, 30.2% on the power play. Uh, that's outstanding. Uh, also on Saturday night, Caps went 3-3 three three on the penalty kill. So, so far, so good for the Caps without a key penalty kill player in forward Carl Haglin. Uh, he's out indefinitely of having undergone left eye surgery last Tuesday. Uh, Haglin suffered the injury in practice on Tuesday. Speaking of surgery, the Caps on Sunday announced that forward Joe Snively had undergone a left wrist procedure and now is expected to miss four to six weeks. Snively on Saturday night did not play for a second consecutive game due to what at the time had been labeled an upper body injury. Uh, goaltender Ilya Samsonov on Saturday night was available of having not been available for the Caps' previous game, that 4-0 win over the Hurricanes at Capital Win Arena this past Thursday night due to having been injured in practice uh, this past Wednesday. But Vitek Vanacek on Saturday night was the Caps' starting goaltender for a second consecutive game. And Vanacek was good again. Vanacek on Saturday night stopped 29 of the 31 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vanacek, per natural stat trick, stopped just four of the six high-danger shots on goal that he faced, but he stopped all nine of the medium-danger shots on goal that he faced. And he stopped all 16 of the low-danger shots on goal that he faced. And Vanacek did well in a game in which the Caps lost the puck possession battle. Caps per natural statric had just 35 on five shot attempts to the Kraken's 50. Uh, the Caps finished the game with 25 shots on goal to the Kraken's 31. But you look at Vitek Vanacek, he has been great since his return from an upper body injury that he suffered in a 4-3 overtime win at the Pittsburgh Penguins on February 1st. So Vanacek's return game was that 5-3 loss to the Maple Leafs at Capital Win Arena Last Monday night, February 28th, Vanacek in that game came off the bench for a benched Ilya Samsonov, and Vanacek stopped 16 of the 17 shots on goal that he faced. Vanacek started the 4-0 win over the Hurricanes at Capital Win Arena this past Thursday night, stopped all 36 shots on goal that he faced. And Vanacek started again this past Saturday night, this 5-2 win over the Kraken at Capital Win Arena, and he stopped 29 of the 31 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Saturday night on Vitek Vanacek playing well and perhaps making the Caps' number one goaltender job his. I mean, that, that can give you some confidence out there. And so um, I think Vitek has, has looked really good. You know, he, like I said, he was his last eight to ten games before the injury. Uh, he was right on point and uh, playing extremely well for us and then he comes out of that and you're it's you know, he's now gone for you know whatever it was you know th yeah three weeks four weeks 
and so he's off the ice and he's not competing and he's not at that he's step away from that and you got to get back to that it's nice to see him jump in i think the practice time i think the game in hershey and then you know coming off the bench from that point on he's looked really strong he seemed like he was in control tonight Yes, uh, Vitek Vanacek was very much in control. So you have Alex Ovechkin continuing to produce despite the controversy. You have the Caps' power play back on track. And you have, apparently, a surging goaltender here in Vitek Vanacek. Uh, Caps are playing better over the last two games. Next up for the Caps, a three-game trip through Western Canada uh, at the Calgary Flames Tuesday night at 9, at the Edmonton Oilers Wednesday night at 8, and at the Vancouver Canucks Friday night at 10. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 266, will feature much more on the Commanders and who knows what else. Uh, In the meantime, if you have yet to subscribe to the podcast, uh, please subscribe to the pod, doing so Uh, cost you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please give the podcast a five-star rating and please write a brief one or two-sentence review saying how much that you like the podcast. You can also now give the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify. If you've already done these things, thank you. If you haven't yet done these things, uh, doing them, it takes like less than a minute and uh, these things do help out the podcast a lot and I appreciate very much you doing it those things. Have a great rest of your Monday and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Yeah, the Washington Commanders, no doubt one of the teams that is very much in the quarterback market serious about potentially acquiring a big name quarterback. And here is how serious sources say that earlier this week they called the Seattle Seahawks about trading for Russell Wilson. I'm told they made an offer, a strong offer involving multiple first round picks.